everybody so today we're continuing our ongoing coverage of the war of the spark spoilers and this has been a a great week yeah (laughs) yeah we saw a lot of really cool commanders like three of which i think are going to be seeing a lot of play in the near future (laughs) there were some cool planeswalkers some cool main deck cards definitely excited to talk about all these so uh before we jump into it i'm just really quickly gonna talk about our patreon page commander theory has a patreon page so all of you listeners can directly support the show and get access to some sweet rewards for as little as one dollar a month you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout out in the show's credits Uh, You can also join our Discord server, and if you're willing to give a little bit more, you can hang out with us, uh, get one-on-one deck advice, get your questions answered on the podcast, and more. So check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory and become a patron. If you're on a tight budget and can't commit to becoming a patron, you can also help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other potential listeners find us so we can grow our listener base and invest some more time and money into the podcast. So thank you for supporting the show, and let's go ahead and move on to the spoilers. Yeah, do you want to read this first guy? Yeah, so we're going to start with the legendary creatures and then go into the planeswalkers and then the the other card types. Yeah. Yeah. So this is God Eternal Kefnet, and he, well, before I read him out, I just want to say that I was really excited to see this guy for a couple of reasons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because first we, the order we saw the God Eternals was we saw Bantu, and then we saw Ronas, and both Bantu and Ronas have these ETB triggers. Yeah, that we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, but but generally I'm not a fan of like ETB triggers on your commander. Yeah. And so I was like, after we saw the second one, I was, that just kind of like confirmed the pattern in my mind. I'm like, oh God, they're all going to be ETB triggers. But then we saw God Eternal Kefnet Woo. broke the pattern. And, yes. and now I'm much more excited for when we eventually see Oketra. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, to get onto what the card actually does... God Eternal Kefnet is two blue blue for a four five legendary zombie god. He has flying, and you may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. Whenever you reveal an instant or sorcery card this way, copy that card and you may cast the copy. That copy costs two less to cast. Also, when God Eternal Kefnet dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you may put it into its owner's library third from the top. Yeah, so all of these god cards, uh, the god eternals or otherwise that we're going to talk about, have that line of text. So I don't think we'll read it out every time, just mm-hmm. to save time. They all they all do that. Like they all die the into your library. Yeah, yeah. they all yeah. have that Enigma Sphinx ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what do you think about this guy as a commander? I have two feelings. I think that this card is awesome. I think there's an incredible amount of value. I think the play pattern will be really fun. Uh, but I think if you do it right, it'll be really fun for you because yeah. it's really, really good with extra turns. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this deck is going to run brainstorms and a lot of that kind of stuff. I think that there is going to be a casual crowd who likes them because they like saves money on their switcheroos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very strong commander and a 
I'm super excited that he exists and I'm super excited they broke that ETB cycle because uh-huh. this is way cooler than <laughs> than just some like ETB draw card or something like that. Yeah, I had a Teferi Temporal Archmage deck a while back and that ran like a ton of extra turn effects because they're, you know, so good when you're doubling your mana and like yeah. activating your Planeswalker and all this stuff. But um, I eventually took him apart because he's just like not very interactive yeah 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 yeah, for sure Uh, but i've had all these extra turn effects in my binder for a long time kind of just waiting for the right commander and i think god eternal kefnet is that commander Mm -hmm. you can just reveal the extra turn spells you draw like you can get that free extra turn and then if you have a way to put that card back on top of your library you can do it again next turn or you can just cast it and you're still taking minimum two extra turns (laughs) in a row yeah. And your commander, like, as a 4-5 flyer, like, that's a decent clock. It's not that hard to, even, like, without going infinite, set up enough turns in a row of just beating in against yeah. no opposition to eliminate some of your opponents. Yeah, especially if they don't have flying or anything. I think this card is very cool and good. So that was, so far, of the God Eternals, I think that's the one we liked the most. The next one is God Eternal Bantu. Mm-hmm. So God Eternal Bantu is a 5-6 menace for 3 and 2 black, so CMC 5, uh, a zombie god. And when God Eternal Bantu enters the battlefield, sack any number of other permanents, then draw that many cards, and then it has the exile third from the top, uh, like, dies or exile third from the top text. This, yeah, do you want to get into this guy? Sure. Uh, I think it's very interesting that he allows you to sack non-creature permanents. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a pretty rare ability, especially on, like, black commanders. So that allows you to use things like Ugin's Nexus, so you can take an extra turn off of that. You can sacrifice your Spinovish Saw, but those are like the the two best non-creature <laughs> yeah. things to sacrifice. After that, like the quality drops off pretty quickly. Yeah, this deck runs a lot of sack fodder. You've got your Blood Gas, Resembling Skeleton, Blood Soak Champion, probably a lot of token generation as well, just to because this is a great way to convert tokens which you can get at a pretty cheap rate into cards which is sometimes a little more difficult to get in addition to the sack fodder i also like running some other sack outlets yeah because yeah it's nice to convert them into random cards but it's also kind of cool when you can convert them into doom blades with attrition (laughs) or like thought seizes with mind slash but other than that it seems like a pretty typical mono black sack outlet deck yeah that was pretty much like the things that we said about massacre girl last week like massacre girl and bantu could go in each other's deck in a lot of ways yeah there's very little difference between those lists yeah because you're probably going to run a lot of like the blood guest and the tiny guys that recur in massacre girl and creatures with good death triggers you're going to run those (laughs) in either one of those lists yeah so i think that just this is the mono black way this is just how it's going to be for a while yeah although uh one last thing i want to mention before we move on to the next commander is another, a nice thing about the other sack outlets you can run in this deck is that if you sack out if you sack Bantu with her ability on the stack, then you can just draw into her again, and so yeah. you can really easily get the ability again. That is that is actually true. I did not think about that. That's mm. cool. Um, the next one is not a God Eternal. This I'm actually, but he is my favorite God. Of this yeah, <laughs> for sure. I did not expect this card to be real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to read it off? Yeah. So if you were paying attention to a lot of the Gruul flavor text in Ravnica Allegiance, you may have noticed some references to the Raze Boar, a larg. 
and I didn't really know what to expect when I saw that, but then we actually got Elarg, the Razebor, <laughs> in War of the Spark. So it is three red red for a legendary boar god. He's a 6-6 six, six trample, and when it attacks, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking, then return that creature to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. And then also when he dies or is put into exile from the graveyard, blah, 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 blah. So this is a, a really sweet commander. Yeah. It works a lot like a fixed Kalia. It's yeah, perhaps this is, a less broken Kalia. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that this will be a lot more fair and fun than Kalia mm-hmm. <laughs> just is. Yeah, it's a sweet reward. There's a lot of things you can do with it. If you just want to run like fat donks like Malignus or Blightsteel Colossus, that's perfectly fine. But he also, and he doesn't work well with attack triggers, but there's a lot of good combat damage triggers in this color identity. There's Balefire Dragon, which when it deals combat damage, deals six damage to each creature defending player controls. <laughs> uh, Hellkite Tyrant, when he deals combat damage to an opponent, you gain control of all artifacts they control. It can be pretty savage. Uh, Dream Pillager, when he hits an opponent, you can... Uh, impulse draw the top four cards of your library or, or more if he's bigger somehow yeah, yeah. yeah rapacious one when he hits an opponent you make that many zero one eldrazi spawn and the heb 3.0 yeah <laughs> which uh lets you rummage a bunch of cards and then add that much mana to your mana pool that doesn't empty from your mana pool and steel hellkite which can just snipe a bunch of different permanents mordant dragon which will deal five or more damage to a creature and opponent controls mm, it's baby balefire yeah uh, and then neheb 2.0 it's not a combat damage trigger but you know if you're dealing a bunch of damage with your alark and your neheb then you're gonna get a ton of mana at yeah. your post-combat main phase other cool things he works well with echo because the creatures are gone before you have to worry about paying the echo cost so i've always been trying to figure out a way to break crater hellion like yeah. <laughs> i've always always wanted crater hellion to be good because it just seems so sweet no totally which is so crater hellion is four red red for a six six hellion beast it has echo so for four red red so at the beginning of the upkeep after it enters the battlefield you have to pay four red red or sacrifice it and then when it enters the battlefield it deals four damage to each other creature so it's really good at just wiping the board out of most like mana dorks, utility creatures, mid-size commanders. And uh, of course, it won't kill your commander because he's just enormous. He's a big old boar. Uh, so that's great. And then also because he's got six toughness, you can run things like wildfire, deal four damage to each creature. Oh, yeah. Each player sacrifices four lands. Oh, yeah. uh, destructive force, five damage to each creature. Each player sacrifices five lands. And just other kinds of mass land destruction are good in this deck, too, because you don't really need your mana that much. Your commander is kind of all the mana you need. Once you're attacking with him, like if you drop in uh, another card like Keldon Firebombers, like when it enters the battlefield, everyone picks three lands and sacks the rest. If you do that, then next turn you can drop your Hellkite Tyrant, you can drop your Blightsteel, whatever thing you want to put into play, and that's it and you did it (laughs) yeah you're saving tons of mana even if it's only temporary like you're getting 
the value you want out of that creature when you mm-hmm. hit somebody and steal three mana rocks or hit somebody and deal 11 poison. Yeah. <laughs> so really cool. Like super excited about it. I, do you want to mention any other tech before we move on? Uh, yeah, just two quick things. So in addition to the normal suite of like mana accelerants and haste grinders, generator servant, this is one of the decks that he's very, very good in because yeah. <laughs> you, you drop generator servant on turn two and you're attacking with a larg on turn three. Ooh, yeah. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd also think about running Seething Song because that's another one of the few ways that you can j- jump up to mana mm-hmm. in acceleration. Yeah, it just kind of works out that he's five. Yeah. I think Seething Song is only worth it sometimes. And this is one of the cases where you just kind of can jump ahead way before anyone else. Mm-hmm. All right. The last uh, of the gods we've seen so far, God Eternal Ronus. Uh, so this is a 5-5 five, five Death Touch for three green green and... Okay, so when God Eternal Ronus enters the battlefield, double the power of each other creature you control until end of turn. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn, and then dies or exiles, put it third from the top. So this guy, we're trying to think of stuff that you can do with him, and really it's just, he's just a like weird overrun. Mm-hmm. He's just a weird overrun effect, so he's either incredibly efficient overrun, or he's an incredibly inefficient overrun. So yeah. if you have a bunch of little tokens, he's really bad. If you have a bunch of big guys or uh, guys with infect, nudge, nudge, he's probably pretty good. So that's kind of the only thing we could think of as like a commander for a deck that he's good at. He doesn't seem super interesting <laughs> other than that. Yeah, like it's the thing about anthems and overrun effects is normally you want a lot of small bodies just because if you're getting plus three plus three or whatever like that the most efficient way to maximize the boost you're getting off of that is just having a bunch of zero one plants or whatever yeah with god eternal ronus you definitely want the larger power creatures but you're it's hard to get those at a good rate yeah yeah and like granted you're in green so you get a bunch of four fours for or five fives for four and stuff like that but like not all those are good there's it's like you don't just want to run a four three for three because it's a four three for three you want to run it because like you get some amount of value out of it yeah and the thing is like a lot of the token generators that can make tokens that are big enough for ronus's etb trigger to have a big impact a lot of those token producers are kind of just win conditions on their own yeah. <laughs> like you don't really need to put a lot of work in to make your rampaging bayloths extra lethal <laughs> or like your titania protector of argoth yeah yeah no it's totally true um the coolest thing that i think we've seen is infect i think that if you in the same way that uh skitherix is like mono black infect like god Ronus is like mono green infect is actually like cooler than i thought it would be after looking at like some lists mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah, the same like, kind of thing yeah I, I mean there's like a 20 Three twenty-four yeah. infect creatures in this color identity, which is a pretty considerable number. That's mm-hmm. definitely enough to fill out your deck. Yeah, and you do get now the new mono green proliferate cards, which are pretty pretty good. You get your three two. The the evolution five. sage, yeah, that's a good one. Good. So that's something interesting. I don't think this card is as interesting as the next card though that we want to talk about. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> this is Feather the Redeemed. It is red, white, white for a 3-4 legendary angel. She has flying, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. 
If you do, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Before <laughs> I let you talk about this, I just want to oh, say yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the best Boros commander ever, and it's not close. Yeah, no, I, I, I think for many reasons this is the best Boros commander ever. I think that, I mean, A, you just draw a ton of cards, which Boros doesn't do. Yeah. <laughs> and it protects the commander really well. This is like a side thing, but like it, you can... There aren't many ways to abuse this, but there are some flashback cards you can abuse with mm-hmm. it because flashback, any card that would go to exile goes back to your hand. So that's pretty funny. As long as it targets one of your creatures, um, there's like so many one and two CMC instants that give protection or indestructible or draw you a card while doing that or scry one or scry two. So you, it's incredibly consistent and you have some pretty interesting tech so there's like aurelia's fury which if you noticed has jumped up in price because this car was spoiled which is uh, x red white instant uh, deal x damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and players each player dealt damage this way can't cast non-creature spells until your next turn i think it is and then uh, tap each creature dealt damage this way so it's a burn spell but you get it back if you tap your commander (laughs) which is pretty cool and you can just do that every turn also there's blinding beam which is an entwine card uh, from mirrodin Ooh, and Mm. it's uh, two and a white to pick one uh, either tap two target creatures or target player doesn't untap their creatures on their next turn or you can entwine for one so it's four mana four mana they don't ever untap their guys ever again as long as you tap your commander (laughs) which is pretty hilarious so this is incredibly funny and the more i've thought about it the more i think it's actually good so there's this card intimidation bolt it's one red white instant deal three to target creature other creatures can't attack this turn like spore frog every turn is pretty okay like fog isn't good unless you're doing it every turn Mm -hmm. that's another way to do that i think yeah i think that like these are just soft locks that like certain opponent, like if you're playing against God eternal run like they can't deal with an intimidation bolt every turn. Mm-hmm. Like how do they kill you at that point? <laughs> so I think that's interesting. Do you want to mention some other stuff? Yeah. Uh, I just like how cheap she is. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the other Boros commanders, like they're all just so dang expensive. Yeah. Like what the heck? Aurelia, Gisela, like, or they Jorkadine. require you, yeah. Or they require you to do something really expensive. So like, Kalemni is four mana herself, but then like wants you to cast big creatures. Yeah, five, CMC five y- or greater. Yeah, and then there is uh, Brian Stoutarm, who like you can throw creatures, and he has life link, so you gain the life back. But mm. like again, why why am I spending all this mana on a guy that I'm just gonna throw? Yeah, like so inefficient. Yeah, I just like that it's really comparable to some of the other power like cheap powerhouse commanders in some of the other color identities yeah. like if you look at like timna or edric or or sig uh river cutthroat like there's so many cheap commanders that get you value in some way and boros like they're all so expensive and so bad and this is both good and cheap yeah yeah because god yeah the, the boros i like that this card really subsidizes the thing that boros has done for like years now which is combat tricks Mm -hmm. like you know those combat tricks that you'd play in limited and then kind of put on your shelf because like why would you play that in any other format why don't you play it here look this one draws you a card (laughs) it's like that's great that's wonderful yeah i've uh i built the list for this and did a little testing and it just 
felt like it was so easy to keep Feather around and so easy to draw cards with her. It just felt like I was really in control, which is a feeling you never get in Boros. <laughs> You're always like at the mercy of your the top card of your it's, library. Yeah, it is so true, God. And there's so so there's a lot more to say or that we could say about Feather, but you should just bug us. Uh, we're gonna throw out contact info at the end of this. Like, if you want to talk more about Feather, I definitely use some hypergeometric calculator stuff to like look <laughs> at this deck list. So please bug us, talk about it, and really any of these cards. But yeah, and and we'll be posting all our lists. So if you've got feedback on them, how to improve them, mm-hmm. let us know. It's only been a couple days since these cards were spoiled, so I'm sure there's room to improve oh, on yeah. on all the lists. We've oh, also yeah. got like an Alarg list for your viewing pleasure yeah these are all yeah these are all like first impression lists and and assessments of all these cards so for sure like i think that we do a good job but if we miss something let us know yeah uh let's see let's move on to the next commander what what would you like to say about this one yeah so this is okay excuse me if i say this wrong roalesque apex hybrid they are a four five flying trample for two green green blue so five cmc and they're human mutant they have when they enter the battlefield put two plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control and when they die proliferate then proliferate again yeah i've been trying to think of ways i like i think we both saw this card and we we're like oh man because death triggers and commander really feel bad and then I had a, an idea where, like, oh, what if you just, like, make clones of him? Because then you get the, the proliferate trigger because the legend rule, like, legend bomb stuff. But the triggers don't stack how you want. Mm-hmm. And it just it just seems weird. So I think I'm back to kind of where I started on him again. Where bas- basically to, um, like, let's say you cast a clone and you copy Roalesque. The clone, you pick the clone to die because you want your Roalesque to stick around. So the, it, the clone entered the battlefield, is going to put two counters on Roalesque, but then dies and proliferates twice before the counters get placed anywhere. So yeah. it just, it doesn't quite work like you want it to. Yeah, it's it's just kind of disappointing. Like, there's so many things about the design of this card that are just not compatible with Commander. Mm-hmm. You don't want the dies trigger, and 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 I really thought that they were going to to change how they design legendary creatures because in Battle Bond they used leaves the battlefield triggers mm-hmm. on the the things that kind of wanted to die, yeah, because they knew like it doesn't work in Commander. You can't get the dies trigger and put it back in your command zone, and then they did it again in Commander twenty eighteen with like Varchild, mm-hmm. General Varchild, like she had a leaves the battlefield trigger and i thought okay i think this is just how it's going to be from now on and that's great i'm so happy about that because we've had so many cards like alenda the dusk rose (laughs) and it's like this is this is not do what i wanted to this is just makes me feel like a chump yeah this i don't want to have to put i I don't want to have to figure out how to get my commander back every game like this is what the format was supposed to not have to deal with. yeah uh and then we see roalesque and it's a dies trigger and i've heard people say that like it would be too broken if you could just blink him and get your thing but you play pure and toothy and yeah. i feel like blinking toothy is way way better than blinking roalesque yeah i 100 so toothy is a one one and whenever you draw a card you put a counter on him and whenever he leaves the battlefield you draw a card for each counter on him and so if you blink him Unless a really weird circumstance happened, you get Toothy back before the draws happen. So you end up getting all the counters back. Yeah, it's really, really good. And that is way better than this. (laughs) Yeah. 
So it uh, it's just sad. I'm going to keep thinking about him because now I'm kind of like in that brain space. But I it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to it'll be a little pet project and it might end up not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. I wish you could put it on each other creature you control. Yes. If he did that, he would be so much better. But I like built the list you were talking about and mm-hmm. did some testing. And it was always like, OK, I got two counters on my Llanowar Elf. And then I've got like three other creatures on the battlefield and I have no way to get counters on them to really yeah. abuse the proliferate. And and to be fair, I did originally thought he put two counters on two creatures. Like he he just distributed two counters. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was two counters on one guy, which is much worse. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> why, mm-hmm. why has it got to be like that? I know, it's sad. So the next guy, though, is a conversation starter yeah for sure mm, good um, way to describe him yeah so this is niv mizzet reborn and I, i'm just gonna keep reading because i'm i'm here i guess niv mizzet reborn is a six six flying dragon avatar for white blue black red green so wooberg and has whenever niv mizzet enters the battlefield reveal the top 10 cards of your library for each color pair Choose a card that's exactly one of those pairs from among them. Put the chosen cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So basically, you flip the top ten cards on the table, show everybody the top ten cards of your library, and then for each guild, you get a card that's exactly that guild and put it into your hand. Mm-hmm. And then you put the you shuffle the rest and put them on the bottom. God, we've been thinking of... So this was one of the cards that was like leaked, but we didn't want to talk about it because it wasn't confirmed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we've been thinking about this for a while, and it just seems like uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Do you, yeah. I mean, there is some stuff. There's some interesting things that maybe you want to talk about. But well, okay. So the thing is, because you're in all five colors, and you have that restriction of the vast majority of your cards have to be multicolored. Yeah. It's really hard to find any kind of overlap among all ten two-color pairs. Yeah. <laughs> So really, like, there's not an opportunity to build in any specific direction. And and other than, like, what are the most powerful cards in this two-color combination? And they tend to be removal spells. Yeah. So, like, Golgari, like, the number one most powerful Golgari card off the top of my head is, like, Assassin's Trophy. Yeah. And, like, for Boros, it might be, like, Wear Tear, Anguish Done Making, and, like, White Black. There's just these hyper efficient instant speed removal spells that are going to be useful in any deck in any situation. And that's kind of what the majority of your deck ends up being is just a bunch of spot removal spells and answers. And then a couple of like blink effects because your commander has an ETB trigger. (laughs) And so anytime you want to like either protect him from spot removal, because he is your primary win condition. Yeah. Or um, just refill your hand. You just cloud shift him, and it's like okay. And and on average, I'm seeing about four cards per trigger. Like my off the top of my head, know like what the exact percentage is, but that's been my experience so far. And there, the multicolor cards are pretty evenly distributed among the different color identities, the different color pairs. So there's not too many issues of trying to of like having multiple cards and having to pick among them like multiple azorius cards or whatever Mm. so that's been a little bit of my experience there is there are a few pieces of tech so one thing i liked running is 
cards with cycling, multicolor cards with that cycle for a single mana. That's cool. So that's just a way to like a up your hit rate, but make it so you're just trading them in for a random card. There's also because the deck doesn't really have win conditions other than Nibmizit himself. It is pretty good at protecting him yeah, with yeah. all the, the blink effects, especially the ones that like return him end of turn yeah. <laughs> so that you can dodge board wipes. Uh, but there are a couple cards in here that make him a more effective Voltron commander. So like Civic Saber is one mana equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus O oh for each of its colors and it has equip one. So for two mana, he becomes an 11-6 flying, which is pretty strong. Uh, there's also Conqueror's Flail, yeah. <laughs> two mana equipment, and equips for two. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each color among permanents you control. And as long as Conqueror's Flail is attached to a creature, your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Yeah. So the second ability is like a bonus, but the first one, he's an 11-11 now and kills you in two hits. Woo! I also am running Duelist Heritage just because it's double strike. That'll do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's all you need, really. Uh, and then I think um, I may want to make some room for like Double Cleave or Boros Charm mm-hmm. just as additional ways to s- speed him up a little bit. Yeah, just like one-shot some people. Yeah, but uh, the, the mana base is pretty brutal. <laughs> five color yeah Woo. um i i am running the the trilands just to make it a little bit budget but you still have like so many yeah so many shocks just, in here it gets so hard yeah because even if you're not running duels like you start to run out of good options if you're running cheaper mana bases then you start getting more difficult ramp options and vice versa Mm -hmm. if you're running better ramp options then your mana base has to be more expensive and they haven't really fixed that problem yet which is sad if you're just running a bunch of like the tap lands from cons block that like tap for like black or red and you gain a life or something like that then you can't tutor those Mm -hmm. ever and if you're running the trilance it's the same like yeah they tap for three but it might not be the three you need so kind of you can run into these games where like i just never drew white i just never had a white mana <laughs> because i drew all these tap lands that tap for like blue green and like black red and all these things and so that just got five color yeah there <sighs> there are a handful of cards that can alleviate that a little bit you do have chromatic lantern mm-hmm. um you do have prismatic omen which is an enchantment for two mana that makes all lands you control every basic land type in addition to their other types i love prismatic omen um unfortunately you can't use celestial dawn in this deck oh because uh, oh, it makes them all white yeah yeah oh no <laughs> that's so sad yeah so celestial dawn is normally like a perfect color fixer for those yeah. who aren't familiar with it it's one white white for an enchantment lands you control are planes non-land permanents you control are white the same is true for spells you control and non-land cards you own that aren't on the battlefield and you can spend white mana as though it were mana of any color you can spend other mana as though only as though it were colorless mana (laughs) so normally celestial dawn everything all your lands tap for white but that's fine because you can spend that as though it were anything yeah but the fact that it makes your (laughs) the cards in your library white they no longer work for invisibility. Yeah, you can't draw them anymore. Yeah, that's so silly. Oh my god. Oh man, that oh that's so funny. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so how do you feel about this? Uh, this as a 
adding an archetype to the format. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think it did. I think this is an interesting take on five color control. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I would say it. Like, but uh, I mean, I guess it's sort of cool that like normally decks in five color just sort of like ooze their way towards five color control. But this guy's really upfront about it. Yeah. He's like, no, here you go, bro. I got your assassin's trophy right here. Yeah. And, and these three other spells. Come on. Let's do this. I do think it's interesting story implications that he's probably the guild pack now, which makes sense. That's what that's I assumed, good, yeah. That's a good way. That's a good thing for Nimizit, I think. Yeah. I think Nimizit could be a good guild pack. Yeah. That's good. It's kind of, it's funny that like uh, being just the guild master of the Izzet was like not the, the apex <laughs> of his like self-actualization that... He was, that was really just him slumming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I, th- I think he can be happy with this because people wanted him to be a planeswalker, and I think that would have some pretty weird ramifications. Yeah, just because him as a as a I say person, even though he's a dragon, he's a, dragons are people too. Yeah, <laughs> dragons are people too. I, like he had some uh, questionable motivations, so mm-hmm. I think being like the avatar of a plane. Is probably good for him. Yeah, it's probably like stokes the ego enough to where he'll be he'll be good about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that like the problem it, maybe it's just an inherent issue with if you're super powerful and super smart and immortal, and you're a planeswalker, it just kind of <laughs> like naturally tends towards like why making you. More? Yeah, why not achieve ultimate power? Why not <laughs> go for more? But if he's just like the embodiment of like the law, the civilization of Ravnica, like there's nowhere higher for him to go on Ravnica. So he'll probably be satisfied with that. Whereas mm-hmm. if he was a planeswalker, he could only gravitate towards like, yeah, I think we'd end domination up with like, and we just have another bolus. Uh, yeah. Either another bolus or like an Azor where he'd go into planes and be like, you guys suck. Let me show you how to do it. And yeah. then like mess things up in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad. I, hopefully, this is a good thing. I don't know what this actually means yet. No one does. They're releasing the story before the prequel stories. That's yeah. real fun. <laughs> um, but well, let's move on to the Planeswalkers now. Sure, yeah. We'll start with Chandra Fire Artisan. It's two red red for a four loyalty Planeswalker, Chandra. Whenever one or more loyalty counters are removed from her, she deals that much damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. She also has... Plus one, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. And minus seven, exile the top seven cards of your library. You may play them this turn. I think the best point of comparison would just be Chandra Pyromaster, which uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, because it was a very memorable Planeswalker, uh, two red red for four loyalty Chandra Planeswalker. Plus one deals one damage target player and one damage to up to one target creature that player controls. That creature can't block this turn. Zero, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. And then a minus seven ultimate that does whatever. Um, <laughs> so in the same case, like it, she's good at pinging. She has ability that you're going to be using most of the time that lets you play the top card of your library. You know, an irrelevant ultimate. Mm-hmm. So it's. I think it's kind of the same power level and Chandra Pyro Master doesn't see really any play in Commander. Yeah, I think the one place that I would play this is Malfagor because just those impulse draw cards are pretty good mm-hmm. when you don't have a hand <laughs> <laughs> or like they help you come back or, or or really any deck in the future that where you don't want a hand but you need gas. Yeah. 
did we mention Malfagor for Theater of Horrors mm-hmm. in Ravnica Allegiance? All we right, did. good. We All did. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's like the only case when I'm super excited for Chandra. Like, Fire Art is in this new one. Like, I, we're going to say this a lot. She's fine. Yeah. She's fine. And kind of gets us to her, the next guy over here. This is Domri, Anarch of Bolas. A three loyalty, three mana planeswalker, one red green. Creatures you control get plus one, plus oh. Plus one, add red or green. Creature spell you cast can't uh, this turn can't be countered. Minus two, target creature you control fights another target creature you don't control. They're, like, ah, oh God. We've been, I, I was telling Nick, like, I'm trying to come up with a term for, like, when a card gives you, like, a technical amount of value when it's, like, yeah, I'm getting value for the mana and stuff that I put into this card, but it's not exactly what you want. So, like, the whim cycle appears whim, the Corvath's whim, whatever, from uh, Battlebond all kind of did that, mm-hmm. where it was that all the cards, like, okay, yeah, I got a rampant growth, and you sacked an artifact, and you sacked an artifact, and you said like, that. that's, like, value, but is it what you want? Like, yeah, I think of it like the Immortal Sun yeah. effect. Mm-hmm. That's um, actually probably a good name for it. Yeah, just like there's here's a bunch of things that like if you priced them individually that this would be a good rate for it when you're paying 6 mana, but really like there's a few decks that want all of those things or like some of those things like aren't good on turn 6 as they are yeah. early <laughs> in the game. Yeah, for sure. And that's where this guy is, I think. Yeah, I th- I think that like all of these things are useful, but you can get them at a much better rate elsewhere. And although like you, there is something to be said for having choices, mm-hmm. I don't think that the the ability to have that choice on here makes up for the just lack of efficiency. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I 100% agree. So this is, it's just, I don't know where, it, it's just kind of generically f- fine red-green guy. Yeah. 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 Sad. All right, the next guy is pretty spicy. Oh, yes. Uh, Karn, the Great Creator. Five loyalty, legendary planeswalker Karn. He has the static ability, activated abilities of artifacts your opponents control can't be activated. Plus one, until your next turn, up to one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness, each equal to its converted mana cost. And minus two, you may choose an artifact card you own from outside the game or in exile, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. So I just want to say, and, and I'll let you talk about it for a bit after this, Yeah, yeah. but the playability of this guy completely hinges on whether your playgroup is going to allow like wishboards or allow you to dig through your binder yeah, or whatever. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about him? Yeah, that's one of the big things. I think that there, I mean, there's obvious combos. So like, Nolrod, Mycosynth Lattice is classic, mm-hmm. classic, fun EDH. <laughs> Nolrod uh, has the same line of attacks, activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated. Although mm-hmm. it's worth noting that Karn only affects your opponents, whereas Nolrod is symmetric. Oh, that is, sim- yeah, that's true. Um, so, and then Mycosynth Lattice is all permanents are colorless and artifacts in addition to their other uh, types. And so you can kind of see once your lands are artifacts, or once your opponent's lands are artifacts, they uh, they don't work too well when Karn's out. So that's real fun. Yeah. Real good. But I think if your crew is okay with that, then if you're going to run this guy, basically, that there are some interesting bits of 
tech with him. Mm-hmm. There's some cool, like Ugin's Nexus, for instance, like Ugin's Nexus, you sack it and you take an extra turn and then your Kargan could get it back, stuff like that. So there's there's little bits of things you can do with him, but I I don't know. I, what how else what what other tech do you think is cool with this guy? Well, if they so are, are you talking about just assuming that wishboards are off the table? Uh, let's do that one because I think most people aren't going to have wishboards in, in most of the time. Okay, yeah. The rules committee just FYI, the rules committee stance is that sideboards are not officially supported in Commander, mm-hmm. and it's if your playgroup wants to do it, it's like a house rule. It's yeah. not official thing. If you don't have access to wishboards. There aren't a lot of ways to exile your own artifacts. <laughs> yeah. It. Yeah. So I don't think that ability is going to be super useful. The animation ability is kind of whatever. And then like Null Rod, it sees play only in like the most cutthroat CEDH list. I oh, think yeah. I, I checked it out and it's something like 2,000 or less decks on EDH Rec are running Null Rod. It is nice that this Karn only affects your opponents, but he also costs twice as much as Null Rod, and he can get attacked to death. I, I don't know. I don't think that really outweighs... Yeah, no, for sure. I, yeah. I agree with that. I, I think I would only really use him if I was going to be abusing the minus two somehow. Yeah. That is, even if I didn't have a sideboard, I think I would have to have something that... I can use that minus two for value somehow. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that um, Micah Centlatis exists. Uh, yeah, I've felt that for years, <laughs> years. Because it's it, it kind of stinks that like that just completely overshadows really everything else you can do with Karn. Because like, if you manage to somehow convince your playgroup to institute wish boards then the first thing you're going to do is, and now I've locked all of you out of the game. It's like, well, then they're just going to say, never mind, don't, we, we're not doing wishboards. This isn't fun. Yeah. Whereas, like, if Micah and Lattice didn't exist, then there's a lot more fun things you can do. Like, say, like assemble two-card combos. I feel like if you're casting Karn, minus two, getting one half of a two-card combo, waiting an entire round of turns, minus twoing them again, casting the other half of the two card combo that seems like fair magic to me yeah that seems more it's a lot more reasonable and people like can't necessarily complain about it because it's like well you could have killed him like there's a bunch of stuff you could have done that you had an entire turn cycle like multiple turns yeah so i think that that would be a lot more fun and fine and you know if you wanted to do things that way you could get like Rings of Bright Hearth and Basalt Monolith for the infinite mana combo. Uh, if Painter Servant ever got unbanned, fingers crossed, then you could get <laughs> Painter Servant Grindstone and kill. And, and even then, like you're only killing one person at a time. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. But one day I'll go off on Microsynth Lattice. I'll get I'll rant about that. But that's not today. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of material to cover. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it for another. Yeah, we have episode. a few more planeswalkers. Uh, this one I'm actually very excited about is Nissa, who shakes the world. Uh, she is a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Nissa for three and two green. She has whenever you tap a forest for mana, add an additional green, plus one, put three plus one plus one counters on up to one target non-creature land you control. Untap it; it becomes a zero zero elemental creature with vigilance and haste, and that's still a land. Vigilance. That's crazy. It's weird. Yeah, it's good. 
the minus eight when you you get an emblem with lands you control have indestructible search your library for any number of forest cards put them on the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library this is very good in a few lists i think so do you want to do you want to get going on this so uh if you're in a, a mono green ramp list, um, the first thing that stuck out to me was Omnath, Locus of Mana. Yeah, for sure. Um, generates a ton of mana in that list, makes your Omnath huge. That seems totally fine. W- what else were you thinking? So in particular, this my greedy mind, I have a Jor-El Empress of Beasts deck. And this is very good in that deck because I want the double mana so that I can not have to tap all my guys. For in the instance where I don't get an untap all your creatures card <laughs> mm-hmm. to really go off. And the fact that this puts counters on guys, gives them vigilance, and the the ultimate is relevant. But just the fact that she subsidizes herself, like on turn five, she actually costs three mana. There's a lot of interesting little nuances here. But I think in general, this is worse than Vernal Bloom. Mm-hmm. But I think that... There, like I said, I think there are some decks that want this. So Omnath, uh, I think Jorel likes it, and uh, uh, what's his name, the Jerk Praetor, Vorinclex. Vorinclex. I think any card that gets Vorinclex out a little bit faster is good in Vorinclex. Yeah. Even though uh, you don't don't do that, please, <laughs> please, your play group will love you so much more. So that's I don't know. That's really how I feel about her. I think just like the ability, certain decks like having the ability to get to your nine drop or ten drop faster is just nuts. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I I definitely I agree that she's worse than Vernal Bloom because there's kind of a game winning threshold at about eight or nine mana, mm-hmm. and if you have more mana than that, it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah. It's really about how quickly you can get to that. And so, like Vernal Bloom naturally curves into turn four Vernal Bloom, turn five I have between eight and ten mana. Yeah. Um, Nissa, on the other hand, it's like you cast her turn five, and then turn. It's only at turn six that you have like yeah, which is very ten very to twelve fair. mana. Yeah, which is very fair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and also I just realized that I didn't say what Jorel does because she's a weird old card, but uh, she's a three three human spell shaper for three and two green, so five mana. And she has uh, two green tap, discard two cards from your hand. Lands target player control become three three uh, creatures until end of turn. That's mm-hmm. it. So you can kind of see the synergy there. So some of them are going to be six sixes. Ha ha. No. Yeah, I totally agree with you. All right. Moving on to the next Planeswalker, Ral Storm Conduit. He is two blue red for a four loyalty Planeswalker, Ral. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Ral Storm Conduit deals one damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. He has plus two, scry one, and minus two, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So I th- there are some decks out there that are running a lot of twin cast and fork variants, reverberate, mm-hmm. whatever. And this is actually has a combo if you manage to get yeah. two of those effects. So if you're not familiar with it, you have Ral on the battlefield. Somebody casts an instant or sorcery spell, doesn't matter. You cast a fork or twin cast copying that spell, and then you cast another fork or twin cast copying the first fork or twin cast. So what happens is the second fork triggers Ral because you're copying a spell, and when it resolves, you copy the fork, put another fork onto the stack, again targeting that same first fork, 
And so you keep doing that over and over, triggering Ral each time, and deal infinite damage to your opponents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's kind of my opinion of Ral summed up, is I think he's a very good like combo piece. Mm-hmm. Because he even gives you like a twin cast, and he, he's a win condition and gives you like twin cast kind of thing. So um, there are so many copy spell cards in red and blue nowadays that I think that that's not super hard to do so i think if you're in a deck that was already running those things you're probably trying to combo anyway you're probably like reverberate or something like that or not reverberate the uh reiterate reiterate thank you um stuff like that so i think that this is probably a good addition to your goofy instance and sorceries plan at the end of spoiler season and and try to remind me of this (laughs) but i think that when we do our final spoiler spoiler episode we should at some point go through every single planeswalker in the set and say whether we think it'd be an interesting commander. Oh yeah, that's actually a really that is a really good idea. So the next planeswalker is Sahili, Sublime Artificer. She costs one hybrid blue red, hybrid blue red for a five loyalty planeswalker, Sahili. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, create a one one colorless servo artifact creature token. She also has minus two. Target artifact you control becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature you control until end of turn, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. Uh, What are your thoughts on this card? Yeah, I actually like this card a decent amount just because I like uh, Talorand, I like Young Pyromancer, uh, I like cards that do this, and I think another (laughs) copy of this is a good thing just for the format in general. I think the fact that she can die is not so much fun, but her minus two is actually relevant sometimes, mm-hmm. which is cool. So I, I, I'm totally okay with Sahili. I think this is one of the better uncommon planeswalkers that we have now. Yeah, I think it's great that you can copy like mana rocks or something, especially like ones that don't untap. Yeah. Like it's really <laughs> sweet to have a mana vault on the battlefield and then make this servo a mana vault until end of turn and then it untaps as normal on your next turn. Yeah, super cool. So it's more interesting than a lot of these uncommon ones have been. <laughs> yeah. It's uh and Young Pyromancer sees a fair bit of play. He's in sixty four hundred decks on EDH rec and a lot of those are like in is it color identities. So I think you could pretty easily run this card in the same decks that are running Young Pyromancer. Mm-hmm. I, I, honestly I bet a lot of those decks would be really happy for another one yeah. too. <laughs> Definitely. So, all right, we're moving into the main deck cards, and uh, we're starting with a big old spicy one <laughs> right here. I don't think we have too much to say about it, but do you want to do you want to read this guy off? Sure. This is Parhelion Two, six white white for a legendary artifact vehicle. It's a five five flying first strike vigilance. <laughs> Whenever Parhelion 2 attacks, create two 4-4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance that are attacking, and it has crew 4. So, <laughs> damn. It's, it's so much. It's excessive. It's so funny. <laughs> and I love how often it appears in the art in this set. Yes, they <laughs> just put this flying anvil like all over the background <laughs> of these cards. It's so good. Yeah, this card is uh, is pretty cool. If anything can make cops cool, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would you say it's uh, worth eight mana? No. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's worth eight mana. I yeah. think the fact that it doesn't protect itself at all. It, it, like it's no, 
No, this is just not worth it, I think. And crew four is like actually difficult. Yeah. It's actually like a cost. So eh. it's funny. We've got an episode in the pipeline that you all will see eventually (laughs) uh, where we kind of ask the question of like, what is white's eight mana win the game spell? And it's not this. It's not this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. But blue got a lot of cool stuff this week Mm -hmm. um i can i read off this next guy yeah go ahead so yeah so this uh i'll just read it and then we'll talk about it so this is contentious plan it is one and a blue for a sorcery it says proliferate draw a card woo yeah (laughs) that's uh i'm into this yeah this is great so if you uh, have been listening to some of these spoiler episodes uh you might have heard us talk about how we wanted a cheap proliferating cantrip well, uh, we got here it. you go. We got it, everybody. Go home. We're done here. <laughs> we did it. This is great. And um, yeah, how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm pretty high on it. Steady progress is pretty weak, but this seems, even though this is a sorcery and steady progress is an instant, this is just much better. Yeah. Like what I just really wanted out of this card is like a way to run a proliferate effect that doesn't really feel like it's eating up a deck slot. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is. It just instantly replaces itself you can probably find a way to have two mana that you're not using for anything else. And the proliferate is is definitely useful. There are a lot of decks that want this. Planeswalker decks, uh, experience counter commanders. There's two good ones in blue. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, just a lot of strong decks that are going to be happy to run this card. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super cool. So we we had a statistic, Tezzeret's Gambit, which is this, this is like close to the power level of so tezzard's gambit is three phyrexian blue mana instant uh proliferate uh, two card. sorcery i believe oh it's a sorcery Ooh. oh yep sorcery all right we pop but basically two of these and that's very good and that sees play in 8500 decks on edh track and yeah this is great this is like pretty much on par with that yeah i think that any deck running tezzard's gambit is probably just gonna run this yeah no problem do you want to get into this next guy? Sure. Uh, Spark Double is three and a blue for a zero zero illusion. You may have it enter the battlefield as a copy of target creature or planeswalker you control, except it enters with an additional plus one plus one counter if it's a creature or an additional loyalty counter on it if it's a planeswalker, and it isn't legendary if that permanent is legendary. So this is a way to copy your commander. It's a way to copy your planeswalkers. Um, there are a couple good commanders that are really interested in in copying themselves so reaper king for example like you'll get the you'll get the vindicate and then every subsequent scarecrow gets two vindicates getting double like zinder spilt and you just flipping so many coins coins. (laughs) um basically if you're in blue and you're running helm of the host this card just seems so much better like helm of the host nine mana to get your first token is a that's a big hill to yeah to, to jump over to climb up yeah um but this like four mana you get the first thing and that's great that's gravy mm-hmm. also i hope you all like my goofy like radio host noises that i do sometimes <laughs> um yeah no i i really do i think i agree with you i think there's a reason that like sakashima is so much money nowadays mm-hmm. and just the ability to have like two of certain commanders is very good sometimes and so i think that this card will kind of be a good option for those 
those yeah. decks. It's also really good in some of the Planeswalker commanders because yeah. there's there's a couple of blue Planeswalker commanders that have ways to add mana in one form or another. So like Estrid the Mask, she can untap a land with an enchantment on it. To Fairy Temple Archmage, you can tap a bunch of mana-producing cards. Sahili the Gifted can reduce the cost of the next spell you're going to cast this turn. So all of them like significantly reduce Spark Double's cost. Like Even if you're not wild about paying four mana for another copy of your commander, if it ends up being like two mana or yeah. one mana or it like negative mana with your netting mana off of teferi yeah. <laughs> it seems really good and then you just have two teferis on the field or two estrids or two zahilis mm-hmm. seems pretty strong yeah that gets kind of out of hand really quickly yeah so cool yeah it's a interesting tool you lose a lot with clones when they can't copy your opponent's stuff but i think you you do this has its place mm-hmm. for sure um this next card also so this is a big old spicy boy this is a finale of promise uh, it is X, red, red, for a sorcery. You may cast up to one target instant card and or up to one target sorcery card from your graveyard, each with converted mana cost X or less without paying the mana cost. If a card cast this way would be put in your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. If X is 10 or more, copy each of the spells twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. So... It's a lot of text. There's a lot of text. Basically, the shorthand is you pay X red red, you copy an instant or sorcery from your grave and exile them. So you like flashback two cards for a discount, basically. Or if you spend 12 mana, flashback two cards, but then like get a bunch of copies of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, that's uh, that's a lot. It's a lot with one card. Yeah. Um, I really like this in Mizzix. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. X spells are really useful in Mizzix because they maximize the cost reduction and they're always like going to be more... They're always going to be enough to trigger her if you cast them right. Uh, and then also she just has a ton of great targets to choose from. That deck is all instants and sorceries. Yeah. So it's going to be something nice to get back. What are some other good commanders that could make use of this? Yeah, I've been, I've been really thinking about this because I think this card's super rad. So, um, I mean, the one uh, special place in both of our hearts is Zada. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a good way to kind of reuse the token production and uh, the pump spells or draw spells and stuff like that, especially once Zada's on the battlefield. Um, you don't, in this case, you wouldn't necessarily be trying to get to 12 mana. You just would be like one card, ton of value. Let's keep moving uh zada's here everybody um neheb the eternal uh so the neheb 2.0 mm-hmm. <laughs> the first dead neheb uh is pretty good because you actually get to 12 like that's one of the decks where you actually can get to 12 you have mana sinks for that and you do have a lot of incense and sorceries you can cast just as a little little note to all the people there um the you can't pick an x spell in your graveyard and get like the X doesn't transfer yeah. to the X spell in your graveyard. It's if you pick an X spell in your graveyard, X is zero. So you get three copies of an X spell where X is zero. So not super exciting. So you do have to target an actual instant or sorcery that does something, but that shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, and there's some really sweet things you can get back. Like that deck runs all of those uh, rummaging spells just because it mm-hmm. really needs to dig for mana sinks. So like copying cathartic reunion three times is insane (laughs) yeah yeah when you pitch like two cards and then draw nine yeah like whoa that's uh it's pretty good yeah (laughs) 
So that that seems pretty good. And then it has 3.0 for a lot of the same reasons that we just said. You get lots of mana, you have lots of spells, and mm-hmm. uh, you play out of your graveyard a little bit. So pretty yep. cool. Um, yeah, definitely excited about that card. The next card is kind of niche in its uses. Uh, oh, yeah, but super cool. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Green Green Sorcery, Nissa's Triumph. Search your library for up to two basic land, sorry, basic forest cards. If you control a Nissa Planeswalker, instead search your library for up to three land cards. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So what are some ways to use this? Yeah, I mean, so the first one that I think a lot of like old school EDH players thought of was Sasaya. Mm-hmm. So Sasaya is an old flip legend from Kamigawa that says, well, so it's a two, three, oh, okay, and it's first side of the flip i don't know even how you refer to flip walkers like the original cast side it's a two three uh for one green green that has reveal your hand if you have seven or more land cards in your hand flip sasaya orochi ascendant uh and then it you just flip it over if you've never seen one of these cards before and on the other side of the card it says and by flip i mean rotate 180 degrees on the table mm-hmm and the, the other side is Sasaya's Essence, which says whenever a land you control is tapped for mana, add an additional one mana of any type that land produced for each other land you control with the same name as it. So if you flip Sasaya, you just go buck wild on the mana. Like you, you, you flip Sasaya and then you have like 30 some mana a lot of the time. Like just yeah, nuts you, you amount. Yeah, you square your lands. Mm, it's, it's dope. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, so that deck loves getting two lands in hand mm-hmm. or or three maybe yeah, but yeah this i would definitely run that in this i would run this is triumph in a society list for sure nowadays yeah because you're, you're you just want a bunch of cards that will increase the number of forests in your hand and yeah uh, there's surprisingly few ways to do that it's yeah kind of hard super weird uh there's also kind of some other obvious tech oh do you yeah wanna, do you want to mention so i don't know if you all thought of this. I felt pretty clever <laughs> when I thought about running Nissa's Triumph in my Nissa Vastwood Seer deck. Ooh, what? Because you see, Nissa Vastwood Seer flips into a Nissa Planeswalker. Oh my god! And then you get to get your bonus off a of Nissa's you Triumph. Get three lands. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, I wonder if it's worthwhile to run like Dark Depths Thespian Stage or some other land combo. I think in nissa vastwood seer i was probably already doing that yeah so i think yeah that's one of the things people have talked about there's some other like goofy land combos or just goofy things you can do how many locuses are there there's three now two i I think there might be a third one now i might be tripping cloud post glimmer post and vesuva yeah there's three yeah 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 right okay okay i wasn't crazy (laughs) um but yeah yeah but moving on, we have another land-based card, which, side note, very, very brief side note, mm-hmm. with the mono-white legend, I can't remember his name, the 2-3 flyer, and then a bunch Tomic. of these, Tomic, and a bunch of these land cards, I've been thinking, like, maybe we'd have a land set coming? But, like, where would that even I don't know. be? Like, we're I not know. going back to Zendikar for a no, while. No, I think we're going to a new place, but I think it might be, like, a new land place. Maybe there, well... Maybe there's something in um in core twenty that cares about lands. Yeah. Maybe that, I think it's like a pretty easy thing to do. I think landfall is like landfall is such a good mechanic. Like other games have made it evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this next card now to get back on track is called Living Twister. It is a two five elemental for red red green. So three mana. 
It has one red, discard a land. Living Twister deals two damage to any target. Green, return a tapped land you control to its owner's hand. So it's a 2-5 for 3. Uh, you can bounce your lands and replay them. Like, let's say you got the County Garden. You get a mm-hmm. bunch of Something like that. Like, there's not too many good ones in just red and green. But there are in other yeah. colors. Bajuka Bog is pretty good to Yeah, I was thinking Bog. And stuff like that. Uh, and then you can also pay 2 and pitch a land to shock something. Mm-hmm. And that's not as efficient as other options we have in yeah. these colors. But but this is interesting. So So... I'm not in love with the extremely nerfed Seismic Assault potential yeah. of this card. Yeah, this is much, much worse than Seismic Assault. It's also much, much worse than... Um, they made a another version of... Um, there we go, Molten Vortex. So yeah. that's a one-cost enchantment. Pay red, discard a land card, deals two damage to any target. So that's... Uh, I'm not really in love with that potential of the card. That doesn't seem that great. But what I was thinking is bouncing lands to your hand could be really good if you are in a commander that can generate a lot of mana and doesn't and probably runs a lot of mass land destruction and can kind of play through mass land destruction mm-hmm. and is in green red. So all of those if if you look <laughs> at like the, the Venn diagram putting all those requirements on top of each other, the intersection is Grand Warlord Rada. So this guy comes down before your warlord. Um, he's a mana sink if that's all you need at the moment. But if you ever happen to draw into like a Thoughts of Ruin or Ruination or just some sort of mass land destruction spell, you can use the Warlord Rada mana to bounce all your lands and then also tap those lands and float that mana to cast some sort of mass land destruction spell. So all your lands end up in your hand, and everyone else's lands end up in the graveyard. Woo! Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a cool way to like give your red green aggro deck a little bit of uh, survivability, yeah. <laughs> honestly. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, there there's another uh, famous red green commander that likes lands and hands, mm. and uh, you might be familiar with Borborigmus Enraged. Ooh. So Borbor uh, 2.0 is a gigantic 8-mana 7-6 trample. Uh, four red, red, green, green. Uh, whenever he deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top three cards of your library and put all lands revealed that way in your hand and the rest in your graveyard. And then he has discard a card, deal three damage to any target. Very, very similar, uh, but maybe a little bit better. Also a little bit more mana. And this guy totally helps out Borbor. You're mm-hmm. like, you cast Borbor, you're like, I don't need these anymore. Mm-hmm. You just bounce them all. There you go. And then you got eight bolts in your hand. Yeah, wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of bolts. So, yeah, interesting. It's a it's a little toolbox kind of card. Here's here's a question for you. Do you think that Borborgmos should have been printed with Hexproof? <laughs> uh, n- no? Okay, all right. Just a thought. No, I just don't think... I don't like it. All right, all right. Yeah, I think we have just one more card for today. Uh, do you want to read this guy off? Sure. Uh, Solar Blaze. It's two red-white for a sorcery. Each creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. And the art is great. You see Parhelion 2 sort of opening up and shining light down on a bunch of yeah, Eternals. Really cool. And they're all just burning from it. My thoughts on this card... It's a little unfortunate that the red mana in its cost keeps it from being used in the decks that want it the most. 
like Doran, the Siege Tower, and Arcadia Sabbath both specialize in having a bunch of high toughness creatures, and they tend to run like Wave of Reckoning, which is the same card but mono white and one more mana. Mm-hmm. One thing I did see is that there are a bunch of Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus decks running Wave of Reckoning. Maybe it could slot in there. Maybe people are building Kaneos and Tiro as like a high toughness deck. Although, which is interesting. Although it, it's worth noting that Wave of Reckoning was in the Kaneos and Tiro precon, so it could also just be a case of people being too lazy to take it out. <laughs> um, yeah. It's re- honestly, it is so hard to tell sometimes mm-hmm. what, like, when a card is included in the precon. If people were just like, "Oh, this is pretty good," and then left it in, or like, if people put thought, <laughs> yeah, into the decision. I'm so sorry, everyone out there. But no, yeah, that I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so those are all the cards that have been spoiled so far this week. Before we go, we've got a couple questions from our Patreon patrons that uh, I thought we'd take a second to answer. So here's here's a good one that I'm sure a lot of play groups are wondering. Oh, yeah. What do you do when CEDH decks start leaking into your play group? Do you join the arms race or try to talk to them about it? In our meta... We we are fortunate to have like a very good, well regulated meta, and even the more competitive players yeah. are pretty good about policing themselves. Yeah, for sure. There have been times where like I've built a deck that was like too competitive for the meta, and I played it a couple times and realized, oh, this isn't fun or this yeah. is too good, and then it just I just put it on this shelf for <laughs> yeah for a rainy day or something like yeah. that. I've definitely done that too. I I think that this question I used to have to deal with more in other places. So there was a magic club at uh, UCSD where uh, both me and Nick went. um, And there was a guy, uh, this was before Commander was really a big thing there. There There's a guy who would play with some of the more casual players there. And all of his decks had four soul rings mm. and all of his decks had four Loxodon Warhammers mm. and like Ornithopters. They're all these like incredibly cheap and efficient and hard to disrupt, uh, fast aggro decks, like pretty heinous. It's like you really shouldn't be playing four soul rings in this casual 60 player play group mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And the two things that would happen the first one was that people would aggro him. People would be like, you have to attack this guy. Uh, and he would complain about it and stuff like that. But it was like, no, dude, like if you don't die, then we don't actually get to play. So that's one way of doing it. And the, the, the pros of that is that the game can continue like normal. The cons of that is that person's feelings get upset. But also, like, I do think that that is actually a good way to go about it. Because if they can't realize without you all giving him actual repercussions to how to be a social being in this like metagame then they probably shouldn't be playing with you guys in the first place that actually is a good way to do it i think talking with them is the best way to do it though yeah i think like the arms race idea there's like an this concept of like an arms race like well i'll just proxy stronger cards or i'll make a deck to do this i don't actually think that's that's good because you turn this thing that you're doing for fun into a very stressful event and 
that's not okay. I think, honestly, the thing you have to do and the thing that people aren't super willing to do, I'm going to super tease at a topic that we'll probably talk about one day. It's a really long ways off Mm -hmm. right now that me and Nick are kind of working on. Yeah, our our cue's kind of insane. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, spoilers, for taking up a lot of time. That people have a really hard time self-evaluating their deck and saying that their deck is, quote, bad. But I think that that's not a bad thing. I have decks that are bad that I don't play, that I made after a gimmick. I have a deck that's uh, Stonebrow, Crossing Avenger. He's a 4-4 Trample for 5, 3 red-green, and whenever a creature with Trample attacks, it gets plus 2, plus Mm -hmm. Um, 2. It was just a big Gruel deck, and then I'm like, this doesn't like a seven seven into a nine nine or like a six six into an eight eight isn't that exciting, but a rampaging badger from a one one into a three three that's a two hundred percent increase. <laughs> so I just found all these little stupid trample guys and I made a deck out of it. Is it good? No, that deck is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not a good deck. You get wrathed and you lose. But like I love that deck and people like have seen it and they talk about it. I, I think acknowledging that your deck is bad is very different when you're doing a hobby for fun. Mm-hmm. And talking to people about that, being like, hey, like, our decks are not very powerful. Your deck is running, like, a lot of cards that are $300 (laughs) because Mm -hmm. of Legacy or something. You're trying to, like, build a community with a playgroup and being able to talk to people. It can be difficult, but I think that's something that needs to happen. Yeah. And, of course, there are, um, depending on how you are playing with other people, you may have other ways to control the situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, if you're just in a card shop and you're just sitting down across with people, you don't have a lot of control over who you end up playing. It's just like, hey, can I play with you guys? Okay, sure. But the way we tend to play is like usually at people's houses, like very carefully selecting who we are invited. And that's one of the ways that we've pruned our play group so well. Yeah. Is that now we have like a, a large body of people who all know how to play in proactive pro-social ways who all understand the power level and can like stop themselves before an arms race develops yeah and and i understand that like that's one of the reasons that me and nick feel so strongly about the ban list and the rules committee is because uh, not everyone can do what we're doing yeah not everyone can play in play groups as good as the one that we currently find ourselves in sometimes you do you go to a new city you have a new job, you're going to a new school, and you, you don't have friends that play Magic there, so you go to the card shop. And that experience is so important, not just to like me and Nick, but we just think for the health of the game, mm-hmm. that that is a good experience, which is why we're so passionate. Because when you go to that card shop, you don't know, and they don't know, what you're both coming to the table with until you play it. Like I've definitely gone to GPs before and been like, hey, can I play Commander with you guys? And stomped people with decks that I thought were like, I don't even have like a soul ring in this deck. I, mm-hmm. I'm like playing pretty like casually, but it was just my cards did something. Mm-hmm. And then I've had the opposite experience where I sat down and like, Hey, can I play with you guys? And got destroyed because like Prosh comboed off on turn three mm-hmm. and, and all this stuff. Like, so the conversations are the things that need to be had. And I think that doing that at your store, like talking about it beforehand, being like, Hey, I've been playing this long. I have these cards like that. That's something that can help a lot. And then making sure your store also kind of promotes that too is really important because you can't necessarily always control what's going on at the store in particular, but you can talk to people and try and like branch out from there. Yeah. And there is definitely a difficulty in, figuring out what your opponent's like 
what kind of level their deck is at just by oh, seeing yeah. who is in the command zone because mm-hmm. i've seen prosh decks that are just like yeah, i just want to i just want to attack with a huge dragon like let me let me do that yeah and although there are some boogeymen where it's like there's no reason you'd be playing that unless you're trying to destroy me um <laughs> but it's it's can be really hard to figure out that out and try to match power level because i you know when i go anywhere i've got like five decks with me and i try to pick one that i think will match but there's no it's all guesswork really oh yeah yeah um i usually bring three decks and i try to range the power level and then just see what happens yeah but we uh have plans to have a much longer podcast episode on this topic yeah 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 yeah, at some point in the future at some point yeah i honestly can't tell you when it's gonna be yeah in good conscience yeah but uh this is something that we're thinking about and want to talk about more because we think it's important for the commander playing community also side note Whenever I saw CD- CEDH, I always thought it was Canadian Highlander. Oh. <laughs> so I kept saying, like, why are people getting mad at Canadian Highlander? It took me so long to realize that it was... <laughs> Those damn Canadians. <laughs> so uh, for so long, I was confused. Like, why are people complaining about Canadian Highlander? Like, they have their own... For- they're good. They stopped complaining about it. I didn't realize <laughs> what was going on. But yeah, that I mean, this is a good question and one that we're going to come back to. So cool. So, I mean, that is that is actually it for the day guys and uh we will talk to you next time yeah uh by i believe that next week is the last week of spoilers i think we'll get the full spoiler after next week so as soon as that's done we'll uh give you our impression of the set as a whole Mm -hmm. and i do really want to answer that question of like if hypothetically planeswalkers (laughs) were to be allowed as commander even if for a short time which of these guys would you want to run for sure so yeah you want to give out some thanks yes uh so i want to give another thank you to our patreon patrons they are bradley gustav ryan mark amond addison arthur mason will and elvis thank you all for keeping the lights on here uh helping pay our costs and produce well high quality commander content yeah we're, we're we're definitely ramping up the production value so thank you guys so much thank you all for listening thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with me i am at commander theory on twitter and tumblr if you want to reach zach he is at fat bartleby on twitter and tumblr the opening song is lincoln continental by entropy and you can check him out on soundcloud we'll talk to you guys next time 